All right, all right, all right. Let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight is going to be our Thanksgiving episode, and we are going to stuff this bird full of content. We've got an excellent guest coming your way, as we're going to be talking about the Tom Hanks film from the year 2000, which almost sounds like we're talking about the future. Uh, Castaway, of course, where uh, he falls in love with... Uh, um, a volleyball instead of Meg Ryan, I guess, in that one. So uh, this is episode 156 of the show. You can find the show notes more at actualanarchy.com slash 156. My co-host is Robert Johnson. And before we introduce our guest in the last night's portion of the show, I always got to check in with you, Robert. How you doing? I, I understand that you're under uh, undertaking this new venture. You've had a record sales day. Uh, how's it going otherwise with, uh, I guess, your self-exploitation? Is that uh, ex- exploiter baiting? Is that is that how you do it if you're your own boss? Wilson, yeah, Wilson, uh, working sucks, man. I don't know what you capitalists have been on about, but I really, really, really want to pursue this socialism idea. I've just heard about it. It sounds really, really cool. Look, you get like all this stuff free, like just free. It's just you get stuff. You're yanking my gang. No, 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 no. You just get stuff. They, people just give you stuff, and that's it. You don't have to give anything back. It's awesome. So I don't know. I think. It, I think a bunch of people whine about it, like economists and stuff. But, you know, who cares what those nerds talk about? Um, We're doing a movie tonight, which is basically a socialist paradise because Tom Hanks goes on this island and lives like a boss. I mean, except for the whole, I don't know where, you know, he's supposed to get like free healthcare and stuff because it's a human right. And he had to do it himself. So I don't know what, I mean, that kind of broke my brain a little bit. But I mean, other than that, I mean, you know, people talk about like division of labor and like that's a good thing and whatnot. But I mean, he had that sweet loincloth and that sweet spear and all the crabs he could eat as long as, you know, he could catch them. And then fish that he could eat as long as he could catch them. You know, I mean, he was he was living living large. I mean, other than trying to commit suicide and being totally depressed and, you know, wanting to die and stuff. Yeah, he was he was eating those crabs raw. Yeah, until he, until, he, until he mastered fire, which wouldn't you think fire would be a human right? I don't know. It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, so I'm not sure how this uh, evolved from you exploiting yourself by having a business venture with record sales, I might add. So bang up job there. To, oh, thank you. To blowing content already oh, on, on this no, movie. No, 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 no. We're not blowing it. It's masturbation. <laughs> no, it's um, so, yeah, the, the whole working thing. Man, is this a bad idea? But human beings started doing it a long time ago and now you're stuck doing it. And um, I am like the media manager guy. So you see me like, I've never posted to Facebook more than I have in the past couple of weeks. It's weird. I'm not used to it. It's strange. But since it's earning me money, I, I do it. It's, it's, it's weird. I'm getting something in return for my labor. So I, I'm incentivized to do it. I don't know if there's like a principle that you can formulate from that or some sort of theory. 
but I've been doing it and it's okay. I, yeah, we had a record day. Um, we made some signs and we're getting really good pushback and really good um, support from my Facebook posts and, you know, all the uh, branding I've been doing. So yeah, the, the, the cap, the, the, the capitalist nature in me, which is evil, by the way, is uh, is doing okay, I guess. All right. Well, you know, as soon as you guys expand a bit more, maybe you'll get into the woke capitalist uh, arena and you'll be able to serve penance for all of your crimes against yourself at this point. But um, <laughs> well, yeah, that's for sure. Speaking of, of crimes and, and criminal behavior, we are we are criminally holding you back from our guest who we're going to introduce during the last night's portion of the show right after this brief interlude. Brief. Everyone, it's Daniel Elwood and Robert Johnson, the Last Nighters, and the Last Nighters can be found on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction. Check it out at thelaunchpadmedia.com. This is episode 99 of the show, and we're talking about Tom Hanks' movie Castaway for our Thanksgiving episode this year. As Tom Hanks' final words in the film are, thank you. We want to express our gratitude for our listeners and the abundance afforded us, and we have an abundance of content coming your way. We're going to stuff this turkey so chock full of stuff, and we couldn't think of anyone better to be able to do that, especially at the speed in which he does it, our guest is Keith Knight of Don't Tread on Anyone. He also works sometimes with Pat McFarlane at Liberty Weekly, and this guy can talk a mile a minute. So we're going to try to keep up. Uh, of his uh, exploits, one of his main channel videos is called The Ultimate Red Pill, which is over five hours long and highlights example after example of the true nature of the state and our benevolent overlords. So Keith, welcome to the show. Your uh, YouTube channel is Don't Tread on Anyone. You want to just introduce yourself and let people know what they can find on uh, your excellent YouTube channel. Well, gentlemen, thanks uh, so much for having me. What you will find on my YouTube channel, and please subscribe to my BitChu channel. I am really on thin ice with the uh, virtuous YouTube crowd and Google. Uh, what you'll find on there is my attempt to uh, make the best libertarian, voluntarist, anarcho-capitalist arguments that I'm able to. Sometimes I try responding to arguments. Other times I take uh, things that are just uh, in the news. Other times I'll do book summaries. I just try to uh, respect the uh, viewer's time as much as possible and make a short, brief, to the point video. It's not necessarily a podcast, but uh, my average video is maybe 10 uh, minutes long or so. That five-hour one is a total exception just because my attempt was to say, you know what, the status get kids six hours a day, five days a week for 12 years. I think in one day I can change the mind of far more people and convince them of an actually virtuous philosophy in one one hundredth of uh, the amount of time in one year that uh, the statists need to uh, justify violence uh, in uh, in the name of uh, the collective. So yeah, the ultimate red pill is uh, one that I have. I basically have a very best of, because I'm at like 440 videos now. I have a uh, best of uh, Keith Knight, Don't Tread on Anyone, that I definitely recommend people check out. All right, very cool. And, and I like the um, perspective of comparing it to the amount of time that someone would spend in uh, an education or re-education camp uh, as I'd refer to it as versus your five hours, which sounds like a lot, but when you you know you put it that relative scale, it's really far different. And in the news today, I saw that uh, public school in Illinois was putting um, children in solitary confinement, uh, which is kind of a big deal. And it sort of segues directly into our movie because you know they use solitary confinement in in prison as a psychological torture. They did it to Julian Assange for years in the embassy. Uh, in London, and and they're doing worse stuff to him now. 
uh, and we see it in our um, lead character here, Chuck Nolan, Tom Hanks's character in Castaway. He's on an island for four plus years, and he starts talking to volleyball. I mean, he, he goes kind of crazy because we are social animals, and we do need to have social interaction. Uh, it's it's on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, if I recall. I mean, that's, I'm dusting that off a little bit, but I'm pretty sure that we do need social um, social interaction to be able to be fully human people. And when you deny people that, or in the circumstances in this movie. Uh, he wasn't afforded it. He was unable to acquire uh, any social interaction. You know, he suffered for it. So that's my way of kind of segueing into this movie, I guess. Um, uh, I'll, I'll take, uh, Keith, your comments, and then we'll go to Robert, and then I'll get into the Google description, which is usually how we kick this bad boy off. But um, any any reaction to to what I said? Because I feel like it was somewhat somewhat relevant, poignant, maybe even. Oh yeah, definitely uh, makes you appreciate uh, the division of labor, if not uh, if not anything else, and the amount of uh, capital uh, that uh, is in current uh, circulation, uh, especially when you see him. Oh, when he takes the skate to his uh, infected tooth and then nails it with a rock just to get it out, it's like, um, well, at least he didn't, uh, you know, ship his job overseas to another island. At least he kept it on the island, you know, even though you know he's going to get infected and he's miserable and he passes out, and uh, that's going to uh, hurt his uh, his ability to work in the future and sustain life. You know, at least he kept it within the nation in, in the nationalist principle. So, uh, what I really liked was uh, just the value of community, uh, and so long as it's voluntary, I think uh, we should definitely appreciate the uh, organizations that we voluntarily associate with. Robert, any initial thoughts, brother? Oh, just to back up the Daniel's idea of the great power of the division of labor. I mean, if you're familiar with the great documentaries of Swiss Family Robinson and Gilligan's Island, you will know that if you have a scientist on the island, you can make a radio out of coconuts. You can have like houses. You can have basketball tournaments. You can have all kinds of things. But if you're all by yourself, you're, you're sleeping in a cave in a loincloth and you're trying to kill yourself. You got to do everything yourself. You've got to be your tailor. You got to be the farmer. You got to be, name the profession. You've got to do that. And you got to do it to, you know, your own satisfactory ability. If you don't have that knowledge, you got no real way to attain that knowledge all by yourself out there. So yeah, the anarcho-primitive style, I don't know if an exact anarcho-primitive would exactly uh, argue that you need to be alone but they do seem to argue for, and not like there's a million archipelagos and not like anybody pays attention to them. I'm not saying that, but I do think they advocate some sort of a return lifestyle to a very agrarian do it yourself kind of thing. And just how much that sucks, how much work is involved. And yeah, there is something to be said for returning to the land and putting your labor and mixing it with the land. And there's something very satisfying about that. But there's a reason why the world went from agrarian to manufacturing base in the Industrial Revolution, because everybody knew that working on a farm, backbreaking labor with like a with like a rake or like a, a pitchfork, and you're like shoveling hay into a wagon for 12 hours a day, sucked ass in the burning sun, and you'd rather work in a smoke-congested factory because it's just better. Uh, so yeah, division of labor is huge, and uh, these kind of people that and I I sympathize again. I sympathize for people that want to go back to the land and kind of get out of the rat race. But to rec to not recognize the extreme value we get from the division of labor is madness. And this movie kind of illustrates that. All right, well said, Robert. Well, let's get into the go-go description, and then we'll we'll 
pick up after that, and uh, I'm sure we'll have plenty of things to talk about here. So Cast Away came out in the year 2000. It's a drama slash romance, oddly enough. Uh, two hours and 23 minutes, 7.8 on IMDb, 88% Rotten Tomatoes, 73% Metacritic, and 93% of Google users thumbs up this movie, uh, Commodus style. Uh, obsessively punctual FedEx executive Chuck Noland played by Tom Hanks, is en route to an assignment in Malaysia when his plane crashes over the Pacific Ocean during a storm. The sole survivor of the flight, Chuck washes ashore on a deserted island. When his efforts to sail away and contact help fail, Chuck learns how to survive on the island where he remains for years, accompanied by, only by his handmade volleyball friend, Wilson. Will Chuck ever return to civilization and reunite with his loved ones? Came out on December 7th, 2000. Directors Robert Zemeckis and won a Golden Globe Award for Best Actor Motion Picture Drama for Tom Hanks. I uh, was also nominated for several Academy Awards, and it uh, has been a bit of a cultural, uh, impactful film. I think a lot of people are familiar with it. Of course, the Super Bowl commercial that came out a few years after, uh, where <laughs> a Tom Hanks lookalike delivers a package that he kept with him on the island, delivers it to this woman after he gets rescued, and asks, well, what was in it? by the way. And she says, oh, just this satellite phone, a GPS locator, packet of seeds, uh, some matches, you know, just normal random stuff, whatever, you know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Robert, what's your take on the Google description and uh, your opening salvo? Then we'll go to Keith. Well, uh, you know, this movie is is a lot of fun. Um, I, I remember being quite taken with it back when it first came out and I bought the DVD and watched the making of featurettes and all that. And this movie is quite impressive because they used like Bob Zemeckis, like hired the crew, and then he went off. Like he got fat Tom Hanks, right, for the beginning of the movie, and then like they came back after nine months. They went over and they they filmed another movie, and then they came back and after Tom Hanks had lost all the weight and you know got tanned up and whatever to do the rest of it. So that's it's quite interesting that they were able to even like plan out among you know big Hollywood type celebrities and their schedules and that sort of thing that they could even make a movie like this. But, you know, I appreciate anytime somebody dedicates, you know, their that level of dedication to their profession. But um, I appreciated that you mentioned the um, how Chuck Nolan is a he's like a time stickler because he delivers a speech in the beginning of the movie where he rips on the USPS. And I, well, not necessarily. I think does he rip on it in the speech or does he do it later? He's like, no, he does it later when he's getting on the plane. And he's like, today we're two minutes late. Tomorrow we're four minutes late. The next day we're the USPS. And yeah, I mean, the USPS, you know, you know, they're a subsidized outfit that loses money all the time. They don't necessarily have competition in the sense that they don't have to compete in a market under market forces because they can just afford to lose money because, you know, they're just spending taxpayer dollars. But um, yeah, that was a, a fun dig at the USPS. I appreciated that. And uh, yeah, it's, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. This is back in the day when um, who's the lady? Who's the lady in this movie? Because she was in like all the movies. Helen Hunt. Helen Hunt. She was in the movies. She was the leading lady of the, well, she was one of the main leading ladies in the uh, late 90s. And so uh, I liked her. I mean, she's not super gorgeous, but uh, I liked her personality a lot. I was also a big Meg Ryan fan. So I watched all these movies when uh, with Tom Hanks, he was always pairing up with uh, chicks I liked. So it was good. All right. Very good. Uh, Keith, your take on the description and then any of the uh, nonsense that Robert has spewed out before us yeah, on, on this uh, Thanksgiving table. Well, the uh, the, the USPS shot uh, d definitely uh, stood out to me. It's just one of those where, you know, before FedEx and UPS and 
DHL competitors entered the market. But without government, how would we have X? In this case, X equals mail delivery. And of course, uh, today the uh, post office has a monopoly on first class envelope mail. Um, <laughs> the left continuously trying to protect us from monopolies while supporting the monopoly Federal Reserve, monopoly on AR-15s, and a monopoly on mail, and compulsory education. Funny way of uh, justifying the state and uh, fighting with the proletariat yet again. I uh, I enjoyed the movie overall. Uh, thought it was ironic that it came out December 7th. Pearl Harbor Day. Unbelievable. Interesting thing about Pearl Harbor. There's a document, the McCullen Memo, which actually states seven ways they could get the Japanese to attack. And it turns out FDR knew about the plan. This was published in an article uh, titled War Entry Plans, published by the New York Times, January 2nd, 1972. It's in Ralph Rako's book, uh, and you can verify it online. So December 7th, that, uh, you'd think they would avoid such a controversial date. Um, uh, the time analogy, um, or not the analogy, the time speech that he gives at the beginning, I wonder what the real meaning in that was, because, you know, he's so obsessed with the clock and, you know, delivery time. I think it's so someone so focused on punctuality and getting things on time and not being able to appreciate the finer things in life that he later he's on an island with no one and he's got all the time in the world. So this guy that was so, you know, stressed for time, now you've got the time. Well, what's really important? Well, the people, and that's what you should be thankful for. So much so at the end of the film, he's sort of going back on his life saying, it's unbelievable. I was on there. I was there for four years. I tried killing myself. I couldn't even hang myself the way I wanted. And now I have ice in my glass. Like he was appreciating that ice cubes were of, uh, of reasonable access and abundance. So uh, yeah, I really appreciated the movie. The time obsessed thing uh, was uh, definitely uh, a good take, especially around Thanksgiving time. So yeah, I thought that was a uh, fair summary of uh, of the film. Yeah, his quote was, "Time rules over us without mercy, not caring if we're healthy or ill, hungry or drunk, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And um, it's it's kind of ironic because when he's stranded on this island, it seems as though he has an abundance of time, nothing but time, very very little else. But when you break it down to, well, he has to literally do everything for himself from shelter to warmth to clothing, um, you know, all of those things. He doesn't actually even have enough time to devote his very limited human resource, his human energy and whatever you can find on the island to actually accomplish satisfying any of those needs uh, to a very high level beyond primitive. Um, even when and I, I know we're skipping around a bit, but even when he's like making his plan to escape the island, he's been there long enough to understand how the tides work and the currents and the, uh, you know, where the sun's going to be and what time of year it is and when will be the most ideal time for him to try to overcome the breakwater and get out into the open ocean. And he calculates how much rope he'll need to create his raft and how quickly he can make that much rope. And he's like months out and he works out in his head and he barely has enough time if he works just furiously to try to get it accomplished. So it's, it's kind of this weird, you know, he's driven by time earlier when he's in the technological abundance that was the year 2000, or I guess 1995 as the beginning of the story is, is um, placed. And if you think about it right now, would you, would you consider 1995 very advanced? Like no one's got Wi-Fi. You can't get food or uh, Amazon deliveries in like an hour, let alone two days. I mean, I'm looking back on how quaint 1995 is in this movie. <laughs> and when the power goes out here in my house, uh, it's not that much more antiquated feeling than when just the Wi-Fi is down. It's it's that weird now. Um, so anyway, that's just a little side rant. But, uh, but yeah, he's got seemingly nothing but time 
But even that isn't enough to give him very much of a standard of living beyond a very primitive level. Uh, I'll go to Robert. What's your uh, what's your take on any of that? And then um, let's get into whichever path you'd like to go down. Well, you're right. He he was. I mean, there's something to be said for having to do everything yourself, and also not having the motivation. Like having nobody around you. Yeah, I I, I just see him as you know you know he obviously doesn't give a shit about his personal appearance. Doesn't see the need to upgrade his living situation beyond the bare minimum of comfort. I mean, he didn't even like make himself a bed, which I thought was weird. It was like he's sleeping on the bare rock in that cave. Like, what well, what are you doing? Lay some lay some leaves down. At least it takes you like half a second. But um, in the, that, I want to go back to that Moscow speech just to reiterate. I, I when I was listening to him make it, I was like, could you imagine anybody in the USPS making this speech? I just don't see it. I just don't see it because they don't have to worry about the competition. But you know, Tom Hanks in the in the private market, you gotta you gotta outcompete other people. So he's absolutely all about time and working hard and you know getting those packages delivered. So yeah, and if I could interject, <clears throat> it's it's <clears throat> it's relevant that the speech is in Moscow, and this is right after the fall of communism. Or you because he's a Russian agent. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, he's he's literally Putin. No, uh, but, you know, they even show Lenin's uh, picture being taken down as part of this. But he's making this speech in Russia to Russian workers who, you know, five years prior were working in a socialist environment. They were working in a where where the time didn't really matter as much. And, and it still took 87 hours to get a package delivered from uh, Memphis, Tennessee to wherever he was in, in Russia. He's like, you know, entire civilizations have risen and fallen in less time. <laughs> and he's trying to impart on them. That now that they're in a post-socialist kind of society here, you know, they're a burgeoning free market, that they need to start like reinvigorating the competitive spirit within themselves as entrepreneurs, you know, as 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 workers for this company um, to actually provide a valuable service for people. Because the status quo of, you know, you're assigned a job and and as long as you do, um, you know, that you're 80 pounds of nails a day. Uh, whether it's one nail or a thousand, um, they're going to do the, you know, just enough to like satisfy the commissar. And <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, like he's got people who have never had to deal with working in a competitive environment. And he's trying to, he's trying to educate them on that in this speech. And I, I think it's pretty, pretty important. For sure. Um, although I tend to think that incentives, the proper incentives, do more to educate people than impassioned speeches. But I, yeah, I, I like the way that the movie imparted that. And I think you're right about him in Moscow and you know, delivering that speech to those people. Um, yeah, you know, the, the incentive problem is a huge problem under communism because you're getting paid the same whether you're taking out the trash or you're, you know, doing the brain surgery. So who's going to take out the trash? Or that's why you'd have you know restaurants where you'd go in there and the service was just atrocious. You'd wait around for hours for your food, and the people are sitting there smoking, and you know your res your servers doing there because you know they're they're getting paid regardless, and they're getting paid the same regardless. So yeah, it's it's a it's a nightmare problem, and you, one you don't hear an answer for from the socialist. Um, at least I've never heard a good rebuttal for the the motivation problem. Yeah, well said, and and. Um, as this is our Thanksgiving episode, I, I kind of want the theme of this to be, you know, sort of about gratitude, but about something that almost everyone takes for granted. And that is the abundance that hampered capitalism has provided us. Um, Keith, I, I'm sure you know the stats on this, but extreme poverty has been cut in half in the past 20 years alone. 
And I saw a stat um, the other day that said that the UN and, you know, as much as you can believe them, but they think that extreme poverty will be eradicated in the next uh, 20 or 30 years. So, uh, yes, that uh, th- that definitely makes sense. Basically, you have uh, China ditching Mao's model and you have India uh, since 1991 embracing much more of a uh, private property system uh, th- throughout the country. So that's two billion people. Uh, you also uh, have, you know, uh, many examples like uh, North Korea and South Korea giving a lot of motivation to uh, people around the world uh, since uh, the um, lines were drawn the late 50s after the Korean War. So yeah, that uh, definitely makes sense. But it's a totally different mindset when you have what Mises called uh, the consumer is king economy under capitalism, where the goal is to meet consumer demand in such a large way that you get the most amount of money, as opposed to appealing to the few feudal lords of the past or the mercantilists or spending your time, energy, resources, uh, lobbying the state for rent-seeking purposes. You're actually saying, what do we need to do to make the most money. Well, you got to get the most customers. And to do that, you have to have the, you have to have a better product or you have to be competitive in another way. So he was focusing on time. They didn't focus on, you know, uh, the package, you know, the integrity of the package or anything, but there's so many different levels to competing that um, I'm sure it was totally like day and night for these socialist workers to be like, what, what, why do we have to uh, meet, meet the, uh, the the desires of the consumer? Isn't that just what greedy capitalists want? No, they don't want more competition. They, they never have. In fact, it's actually documented in this book right here, Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution, the remarkable true story of the American capitalists who financed the Russian communists by Antony Sutton. It actually proves that... Um, Jacob Schiff, a uh, banker, started communism. Uh, They're always pushing for a large state. So instead of having to meet consumer demand, they can just control the state as a mechanism to control finance, monopolize resources, and make themselves more wealthy. Now, granted, it's a very small portion of your average capitalist or entrepreneur. But the idea that, uh, you know, the big guys just want total free marketism is ridiculous. Since the days of Friedrich Engels, uh, the, you know, very wealthy businessman funding Marx to write the manifesto, it's been a total lie. And I believe I was incorrect when I said, uh, you know, all he had was time on the island. I don't know why I thought that for some reason, but it, 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 it uh, I was trying to consider why he would give that speech and then he's all alone on an island. I just associated that with time. But um, what comes to my mind about that is capitalism, free markets, anything consumer driven makes you more productive because you have access to things at work that allow you to be more productive. So for example, the fact that I have a telephone and a computer allows me to help about 70 customers a day. Whereas without those, I think I'd be able to help two people a day. So you're much more productive. That means you have much more leisure time. So that is one great thing to be totally thankful for this Thanksgiving is the abundance of products and services that allow us to talk uh, and have a conversation from Arizona to Seattle to Japan in real time. Uh, That is uh, my take on uh, that uh, portion of uh, the film. Yeah, and we really do see that uh, on full display and at the primitive level at which Tom Hanks is just struggling uh, with all the effort it takes him to create small comforts like his shelter, fire, or even just having something to drink. Uh, opening a coconut seemed very, very difficult. Uh, with the, uh, uh, it's it's like he went through the um, the stages of evolution, <laughs> caveman, you know, all the way through to present day, like discovering tools and how to use them. I mean, you kind of see it all like in this very compacted. Uh, film, which was like kind of amazing to see. And I guess the writer, um, he went on to a, a deserted beach in Mexico for like a week just to like get more insight into how to write the story and how to write the character. And Wilson, the the, the volleyball 
that became a character was a literal volleyball that washed up, washed up on the beach in Mexico. And so he wrote it in and used it as part of the story. It was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I think I did see that little vignette about that. Um, talking about Keith and um, the the grinding, the grinding poverty that happens to Tom Hanks. Yeah, just having nothing, like have, being thankful for all the the wonderful inventions, just shows how technology makes us all wealthier. Like like you, like Keith said, if you have a telephone and a computer, it helps you do so much more. Like every every modern convenience, from cars to refrigerators to washing machines and that sort of thing it, it all just gives you more leisure time and allows you to do so much more it makes you a much wealthier person whereas tom hanks is thrown into absolute abject grinding poverty just struggling to do the most basic thing and struggling to even survive i mean if if he he's out of here on this island alone and if he catches deathly ill you know i mean he could have died from that infection in his mouth. I mean, it wasn't in the script, but of course, that's a very real possibility. He could have, you know, that that um, that injury when he hits the coral, cuts himself on the coral. I don't know if any of you guys have cut yourself on coral, but it is nasty. And that cut lasts a long time because those little freaking motherfucking microbes, they get into that cut and they fester. And those little things, yeah, you got to, it's nasty. You do not want to get cut on coral. It is horrible. Yeah, I but, think he could have died from that as well. And and uh, didn't didn't Hanks actually get a cut while he was filming that uh, ended up getting a staph infection and he was hospitalized as a result? I don't remember that story, but that sounds like something very well could have happened. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, the, uh, the the amazing thing uh, with the um, sort of, uh, you're starting to see this more and more with AOC, Ilhan Omar, Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, where Sanders especially, it's like, um, well, at least they're not being exploited by the bourgeoisie. And uh, at least Bezos isn't making any profits and exploitation is getting paid a small amount of money, even though they support uh, government schools and universities going there 12 years while having to dig yourself totally deep into debt. Uh, meanwhile, uh, you, when you're all alone on this island, you have no exploitation, according to leftist theory. But um, <laughs> It's a totally miserable way to go, which is why so many people voluntarily opt to make exchanges to contract with people who already have ideas, who have already acquired resources, who've already done all the marketing to acquire a, uh, a customer base. So I think it, uh, it, it is a, a movie that uh, allows you to be thankful for, uh, for, for quite a, uh, a few things. And uh, you, you just realize that um, production precedes predation because Hanks it's not like the, the statists will say so often that uh, the reason we're wealthy is uh, because of, you know, things like the New Deal and state investment and all this stuff. There's no amount of theft that Tom Hanks could have engaged in that would have made him wealthier. What he had to do was homestead uh, the resources around him and produce things. Now, of course, imagine if everything he produced, 40 percent was taken by, you know, a local whale or something. I don't know. I can't think of an analogy. The point is taxation destroys wealth. Production precedes predation, so we know predation, theft, statism is not the source of wealth, but freedom and voluntarism and homesteading and contract and trade are. So uh, this is a great uh, small-scale example how he goes from nothing to sort of having a little something to make himself a boat to uh, get to another boat to uh, you know c come to uh, come back to the U.S. Yeah, it reminds me of the um, <clears throat> Caruso economics, which is like a thought exercise when uh, you're introducing some like concepts like Austrian economics and uh, Murray Rothbard has a bunch of, of lectures that are related to this and I'll post um, 
post one of those on our show notes page at lastnerds.com slash 99. It's also the subject of a book by Peter Schiff called How an Economy Grows and Why It Crashes, which is actually an illustrated version that is is basically uh, an island scenario where you build up from just one person and what they need to do with their limited resources, time being one of those resources. They have to uh, basically prioritize things, put them in a marginal utility scale, choose the things they're going to expend resources on, decide if they're going to forego uh, using some of those things in the moment to be able to uh, invest it in a more efficient uh, piece of capital that will be more productive in the future. Uh, so it's really, really an interesting thing. And I also think that there's um, a video, I'll have to find it, but it's the same guy who, um, it's Bitbutter, right? Robert, you know you know this guy, he um, did uh, George Ought to Help or mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Edgar. Yeah, he's the, a couple videos. Yeah, and Edgar the Exploiter. And there's another one where it's an island situation and uh, there's this bully that um, wants to take this guy's stuff um, on the island. And I forget the name of that one, but I will post that on the show notes page as well. So lots of really good resources related to kind of the concepts we're talking about here. Um, and, and it's a nice segue into economics. So if anyone's interested in that, lastnerds.com slash 99. Also, because this is our Thanksgiving episode, I, I would be remiss to not mention that there's going to be a whole bunch of Black Friday deals, the best deals of the year on all sorts of stuff, including Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. It's going to be, I think, something like 60, 60% off. Uh, same thing with Bluehost Hosting and a, a few other things. So I'm going to put together a deals page that'll be um, lastnerds.com slash Friday. Just make it really easy to remember, and I'll have a link to that on the show notes page as well. But if you buy um, any of those things on our links, we'll get a small fee, small commission as a result, and you won't pay anything additional, but it'll be like a way of kind of supporting us and getting something really cool in return, uh, and maybe we'll throw a few bonuses your way as well. Um, Sorry to throw a little commercial in the middle of this, but we are capitalist pig exploiters, Keith. So, you know, forgive me. That's totally, totally forgiven. Yes. Um, It's amazing how well you you can criticize how uh, voluntary commercials can be criticized, but uh, state theft, totally legitimate. Unbelievable. Yeah. And and Robert, to your point about um, Tom Hanks getting cut up uh, on the coral and then he was cutting his feet up as well, like Bruce Willis at Nakatomi Plaza. um, A lot of these islands are volcanic uh, in the South Pacific. And I think that the the name of the lava rock is called Aa, which is the, the sound you make when you're walking on them. Like, ah, 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 ah. So I, re- I remember That's that right. being in Hawaii. But uh, he actually made um, some of my favorite shoes out of his old pants. Um, there's these shoes called Sanooks, which are like flip-flops, but with a, like a, a little um, shoe-type shell on the top. They're very lightweight. And like he's inventing all sorts of stuff. It's like foretelling the future in this one. It's, it's not like Back to the Future where there's all that conspiracy stuff. This one's a little bit different, but it's pretty good. So you're saying that the Sanook people ripped off Tom Hanks? It's possible. It's possible. He really did need shoes. And when he found the dead guy and the extra small shoes, he had to cut the toes out. Um, I guess he, he wasn't on the island where, you know, all the left foot, left, all the left feet like show up on the beach. Do you remember about that? It used to be like this weird phenomenon that like left footed shoes, I think with human feet in them still would wash up on these beaches. But for whatever reason, the right foot wouldn't. Where is this? <laughs> I, want, I want to say it's the West Coast of the U.S. and Canada. Um, I know it sounds like totally crazy, but I'm pretty sure it's a real thing. I, I, I'll, I'll find a link to that and put it on the show notes page just to just to uh, reaffirm that I have not gone crazy and started talking to a volleyball. So the human traffickers are cutting off the their their charges left feet and then chucking them overboard. That's happening. Well, I think the theory is that it's people who are stowaways like on ships coming out of China and they're ending up in the water for whatever reason. And because of how the currents work and the shape of the left 
shoe with a leg in it versus the right shoe with a leg in it is going to catch the current differently. This is the theory. This can't possibly be true. Is that what, what my left foot with Daniel Day-Lewis is about? No. I, I, I've never seen it, but uh, I, I've heard the title. All right. I, I'm going way, way off into the crazy tangent here. But <laughs> <laughs> I actually think we should do another 40 minutes of this. So are the laces tied when the shoes come up? <laughs> I, I think so. I think so. But I'll, I'm kidding. Of course. I'll find a page on it and, and post it. Um, <laughs> uh, the same... And how do we determine that they're Asian feet, Daniel? Well, I can't give you a response. It's not going to be a hate speech, so I'm sorry. Um, Typical white man. But let's let's talk about the a little bit more about the primitive nature, um, because he is expending an, an immense amount of of effort. Uh, he's trying to get the fire going, and he's even blistering his finger, and then he cuts his damn hand open, thus creating Wilson. And then he discovers, basically through trial and error and accident, that he needed air into the fire because he's he discovered that the wood had been split. So then he can actually get a fire going consistently. And, and this is a little bit like me trying to start a fire. Uh, I'm terrible at it, but my wife is, is extremely good at it. Uh, we, we've gone on, um, we have a wood stove in our house, but we've also gone on vacation in the past uh, and had a little like fireplace kind of thing to try to get going. And I'll, I'll spend like an hour trying to do it and just be crappy at it. And I'm, I'm totally like burning my man card here. My wife will do it for like five minutes and fire gets roaring and we make s'mores or whatever. Um, but anyway, I don't know why I'm going down this tangent. I think it's just get us off the foot tangent. Um, well, I do appreciate in this film the survivalist angle. I think they, I remember from the uh, vignettes that they did just talk to a bunch of actual survivalist guys. And the movie kind of follows that. Like Chuck does a lot of things right. So the first thing he's looking for is water, which, you know, is absolutely the first thing you need to look for. I mean, if I were him, I'd set up some sort of a rain collection system, but you know, you don't necessarily need to look for food for the first couple of days. You just need water. You can, you know, you're going to die without water in like three days, but you can go for like a month or more without food. So that was, that was nice to see that he was interested in making shelter and fire and water were his, his first real things. And then he eventually got around to, you know, catching fish and eating crab and stuff. Right. And he also um, built on those skills. Like he's really terrible at all those things initially. And then he adapts and becomes very adept at them uh, as he acclimates to his to his surroundings. Uh, and and one more um, element on time, um, they show him kind of poking at that tooth a couple of times even before the plane crash, and he's like, "Oh, I really should go see the dentist, but I'll just put it off." So that's another element of time is that don't put something off that needs to be taken care of because what if something does happen and now you've worsened your situation? What what is it? It's like a Ben Franklin saying, like a stitch in time saves nine. It's so like if you take care of an issue early and on, prevention is equal a pound of cure. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's also on display in this film because that tooth gets all abscessed and infected and totally nasty. And I mean, he's he's resorting to knocking it out with uh, with a rock to an ice boot. Um, like, uh, you know, and I would have been, I, you know, I, I with that home surgery kit. I I sympathize with that guy because I would be that guy. I would I mean, I probably would have gotten to it before he did. I, I think I wouldn't have let it get that bad. But I would definitely not flinch at shoving a knife in my mouth and just popping that thing. I mean, that's just what's, what's got to happen. It's going to be gross. But I mean, that's essentially what a dentist is going to do. But I really do enjoy the uh, the foreshadowing done in this film. I mean, we all know he's going to end up on an island. I mean, if you know, if you watch the commercials, probably you, you understand, you see the, the name of the film. And, you know, the movie is setting up the, the mouth thing and, you know, how much time is matters to him and 
the plane crash, which is still pretty dang terrifying. I remember being super terrifying in the theater at the time um, and just how intense that whole thing is. And it's all told from his perspective. And he doesn't really, doesn't really know what's going on. And you got all these packages shifting around in the plane. You got the guy that he wants to save, but then he gets killed. And, and it's it's all just really good. But the, uh, the foreshadowing done um, was really good. And I, I did appreciate that he doesn't, you know, get with uh, Helen Hunt at the end because, you know, she had to move on in four years. That's what, that's what people do. Right. Even oh, though she was... <clears throat> she was reluctant was that, that would have been a little too predictive uh, uh too uh predictable uh almost said predictive programming i'm sorry i interrupted you dan what were you gonna say well i was just gonna say that that she she wanted to get back together with him but he was like you know circumstances beyond our control have intervened and you have now this new life and you need to stay with that new life so i thought that that was actually a really powerful moment uh that was very respectful of you know her her the rest of her family you know her her child and her now husband. Yeah. And I thought Tom did a really good job as he's coming back as Chuck Nolan, you know, post Island to be a completely almost different person. He was very much a man out of world, you know, out of his place. Like he's just reacting to all this new stuff. He's like, you know, just, it was just, I thought he did a great job. I mean, Tom Hanks, um, he probably, I don't know if he's the best, you know, method i don't know if you want to call him method actor but putting himself into the role but i think you did a really good job in this yeah the thing that kind of blew me away was that um when they show him he gets the jeep back from helen hunt and he just drives it like it's no thing no no issue at all i've gone on vacations where i've been gone for like a week or two come back and, and driving my car is like foreign it's like wait how does this work again he has no problems he hasn't seen a car in like four years no big deal yeah have you ever driven somebody else's car like like a totally different car or a, a truck or anything like that. And then you go back to your own car and you're like, this is weird. Yeah. Wait, where's that again? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> um, oh, and speaking of the name of the film, you mentioned the name. Um, do you think that there's any significance to why they chose the two word version of cast away versus cast away? Because a cast away, like no space is a noun. And he was a cast away, like on this desert island. But cast away is more like a verb, right? It's like to throw something away or push something away. Um, do you think there was some significance into the selection of the title, uh, Robert? Well, now that you say it, probably. But I, at the time, no. Uh, and in fact, in the 20 years since this is released, I've never once thought about that. <laughs> I always appreciate these weird questions that you ask. You always seem to think more about these movies than I do. And I, I think I appreciate that. Well, it, um, it came about because I was like needing to write, hey, our next movie with the great Keith Knight is Castaway, And I'm like, well, wait, is it spelled with a space or no space? So I had to look into this. Well, what would he be casting away? Or because he's not cast away because they were all searching for him big time and he wanted to get back to him. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. I mean, he's sort of cast away from society, but not purposefully. Like it's totally accidental. Yeah. We don't even really understand why the plane went down. I mean, they say that it was probably some loose packaging that caught on fire or something like that. But yeah, totally an accident. But but here's a synonym of cast away verb chuck out. His name is Chuck Noland. And if you do the initial C Noland, C no land, he's chucked out in the middle of the ocean where there's no land at all. You're blowing my mind right now. <laughs> I don't know if I'm high enough to follow along on this tangent, but you're blowing. <laughs> Illuminati confirmed. It's all. <laughs> 
Keith said predictive programming earlier. Well, here, here we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, uh, a, a lot of uh, artists like uh, doing those little hidden gems. If you watch anything Vince Gilligan related behind the scenes, you'll know that he puts in like the most ridiculous things. He's like, we uh, we made sure not to clean that uh, little thing that Walt left there uh, for the El Camino movie. And uh, it's like, wh wh why would anyone catch on to that? So doesn't uh, doesn't surprise me. Give me, Dan, give me your definition again of the two part word cast away. Give that to me one more time. Uh, so it's more of a verb. So it's like to actively discard or fling or toss, like cast something away from you. But it <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the only thing that uh, comes to mind um, immediately um, is uh, when he says, you know, I never should have gotten on that plane. Or when they're sitting down at the table and he uh, sees, you know, his work uh, pager vibrate and he looks up. Maybe he cast away, you know, his life, didn't appreciate it. Next thing you know, he didn't have his life that he didn't appreciate for so long, being so obsessed with business and, um, you know, getting packages a couple hours earlier. So oh. that, that's what comes to mind. I have no clue. I mean, I was so off on the original time thing. I'm almost ashamed to keep going on this uh, tangent, but uh, um, but but that's what uh, that, that's what uh, comes to mind. Yeah, and was this movie an ultimately uh, a critique of capitalism, saying that it drives people to you know lose their personal lives and just worry about time and working all the time, casting away their humanity? Oh, uh, no, by a Marxist. <laughs> uh, no, because you can definitely uh, if you. Um, are casting away your humanity, which you would want is more available time or leisure time. As we see on the island, he has little to no leisure time to appreciate the finer things in life, which he later appreciates ice cubes at the end. So no, it's a pro-capitalist movie. And of course, you know, if it was a socialist movie, they would have said, they would have just had someone in the background say, mm, yeah, F -A Reagan's FAA deregulation is what caused that flight to crash. <laughs> oh, and, and, and then things would keep going on. When, of course, when you have a, but there's just two ways to regulate things. There's either voluntarily funded competition or there's coercively funded monopoly. Every time you have a coercively funded monopoly, you'll get higher prices and worse quality. So well, um, I'm glad they didn't take that angle, but I sat there waiting for it. You know what he should have done? Chuck should have... Um unionized and then implemented a minimum wage and then he would have been mm. prosperous while he's on the island yeah absolutely then they would have needed a dictatorship of the proletariat to enforce it then people wouldn't have had the incentive then you'd have to put them in gulags then it would be uh th the whole world would be moscow and then the end of the movie they'd be putting up the lenin plaque that they uh, took down at the beginning so um so, so i'm glad he didn't uh, set up a uh, a union so um I want to talk a little bit more about FedEx because they are almost a character in this film. It's they're very prominent. So it's, it's even beyond say product placement. And you'd think it'd be kind of odd for a company to be willing to have an airplane crash that it would be related to them as a company. Um, and up till that point, I believe there was no such airplane crash by FedEx or FedEx plane. But since this movie has been released, uh, I think one or two crashes have occurred and, and people have died as a result. Um, but FedEx even came into being as the first delivery company to utilize aircraft to do next day delivery for letter and packages. And it's because there was a gap in the market. There was the monopolized, you know, letter service <laughs> by the U.S. government. And then there's UPS doing like ground based um, package delivery. So there was this wide open uh, space that was available and the technology began to uh, be available to to use the for the lack of a better term to exploit that gap and provide a service that the market would benefit from and that's how fedex came to be and i believe fedex and ups in having to compete with each other 
also dragged up the USPS in improving their service levels. Because as bad as they um, can be, they're far better than they used to be. And it's because they do have to compete on a certain level with these private entities. Of course, yeah. time you uh, I- introduce uh, competition, consumers benefit from all, all existing companies because the existing companies have to up their game in order to uh, to, to stay in league. So, yeah, I mean, th- th- there's no good arguments for a coercively imposed monopoly. That's why, you know, I'm still shocked that the status will defend them at all costs. Yeah, they sure do. All right. Well, uh, we're getting to the point where we start needing to wind down. So does anyone have any final points in their notes that they'd like to discuss before we get into what we consider the final summary and review portion of the show? Mm, I think so. Yeah, you know, I, I think we uh, we touched on uh, the the the, uh, the big ones. Division of labor um, in as far as uh, economics goes and as far as life goes, appreciating the uh, the, the things you have. Um, I guess we could uh, also get into uh, subjective value, something you value on land uh you, you, something you have is of less value than when you don't have it sometimes in this relationship uh or in this case his relationship with Helen Hunt you know of course uh prioritizing prioritizing business over you know some uh family time especially during christmas time of all uh, of all times to be away from a family that was uh something in my notes um i mentioned yeah the stone was his means of production which he uh, privately owned i don't see a lot of wiggle room there um, yeah, he was on the Maduro diet. I thought I'd have a better line for that, but, uh, nothing is uh, coming to mind. So, um, uh, yeah, nothing, uh, n- nothing other than that. Um, uh, m- maybe, uh, we could talk about his, uh, cis straight, uh, white male privilege that he still had on the Island while, uh, b- having to be his own dentist at, uh, l- at least he wasn't being exploited like Bezos and Walmart who pays no taxes. What a goddamn liar. Imagine, did you see Bernie actually tweet that Amazon and Walmart pay no taxes when he's referring to them as an entity as opposed to naming the individuals who don't pay? That guy is such a liar. Um, I apologize for that. Uh, Daniel, closing closing statements. (laughs) Well, I'll just throw one more thing about um, FedEx uh, that's kind of related to this. Um, I guess they got uh, profiled by the New York Times um, regarding how little they apparently paid in taxes. And they actually responded to the New York Times uh, in almost a Trumpian fashion, talking about how the New York Times is a failing entity and that they actually sheltered more money from taxation than FedEx did. And FedEx highlighted how much um, they've invested in capital to improve service to customers and lower prices and employ more people, uh, basically creating more and more value than the New York Times ever would. And the guy who uh, had responded to the New York Times even challenged them to a debate that uh, would hash this out. So I thought that was a pretty bold move, uh, Cotton. We'll see if it works out for him. I don't, I don't know if the New York Times will actually go through with it. I kind of doubt it, but uh, a little bit related. So um, anyway, yeah, let's get into some final summary and review. So uh, Robert, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Uh, I've seen Cast Away probably six or seven since it was released. It's a movie you can put on in the background and get sucked into it. It's uh, it's a classic. There's it's weird. There's not any music for like the first half hour. It's pretty kind of an interesting directorial choice. Um, and it's also it's a it's a kind of a I don't know if I call it a brave movie, but in a time when Hollywood you know relies on a lot of big action and comedy and things like that, this this movie has a really kind of a slow start and it kind of trusts its audience to follow along on Chuck's journey. Um, I you know enjoying man versus nature kind of stories i enjoy you know how strong a man is versus you know in the environment i mean as 
Ayn Rand famously enjoyed or really celebrated the power of the human mind to overcome obstacles and to solve problems, really championing that ability of, you know, us thinking apes. Um, Man versus nature is a really good example of that, where you've got this kind of middle-aged, you know, suburban guy, and you throw him into nature. I mean, what does he know about how to survive like his ancestors did? He doesn't. I mean, he's watched some movies. He's Maybe read a book or two, but you know, with very basic tools, he is able to survive. But it does suck, even after he becomes kind of a master of his domain, George Costanza style. Probably not. <laughs> you know, he's saying there's nobody else out there. I mean, Wilson, he's got a. Uh, I'm not gonna get anyway. So uh, yeah, um, I enjoyed this movie. Of course, um, it says a lot about you know. Anyway, talks about. I didn't even think when I first heard about an- anarcho primitives being like a real thing. I just I can't imagine. I, I don't even know who is advocating for it, but you just you just got to think about it for half a second before you realize, yeah, it's romantic. Yeah, it really can test your, you know, your resolve. But for a long-term solution, what are you going to do? You get out into nature and you're immediately going to try and create technology. You're immediately going to try and mix your labor with the land to create a better living situation. So you already got a better living situation right now by ordering something off Amazon or buying something from Ikea or Target. Other people have already done it and they've already done it better than you could do it with your stone tools and fire. So why not take advantage of the division of labor? Oh, okay. End rant on that. The movie itself is good. Hanks is good. Hunt's good. The story's good. Direction is good. Uh, it's all it's all a quality production. Um, it's a classic. And this is like a, it's an 8.5 for me. It's really, it's really, really good. Um, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't fail under uh, repeated viewings. Like it just holds up every time. Like I wouldn't watch it back to back, but I'd watch it every couple of years. Why not? So uh, Keith, what do you think, buddy? So my, uh, th- my uh, closing statements here. Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, excellent point about uh, man's reason to um, operate in the world uh, he lives in, ability to homestead products and uh, use them in more efficient ways, creating a hierarchy of values, weighing opportunity costs. That was definitely Ayn Rand's strength. And I think it uh, goes to show you, we really need to appreciate the uh, the innovators around us, so long as they're operating voluntarily. Um, it's amazing. It really shows you the different mindset in people. When you see a successful person, Bezos, Bill Gates, Steve Jobs, you know, all, all these uh, people, some people go, wow, we really need to tax them. Wow, we really need to regulate them. Well, the rest of us, you know, non-psychopaths are just like, what? just in total awe of, thank you so much for making the world an easier place for me to live in, a place where I could spend more time, you know, having, you know, a record player in the background that I didn't make, lights in the house, so I could spend more time raising uh, my kids. Now, the great thing about anarcho-capitalism is you can own land and exclude others. This means if you are an anarcho-primitivist, you can embrace the Amish ideology. So it's not like, you know, we're saying, well, uh, ideally you'd be able to, we actually have real world examples of anarcho-primitivists. I actually don't know the details of the Amish community as much as uh, David Friedman does in his book, Legal Systems Very Different Than Our Own, where he writes about it. But uh, there is sort of an anarchist element to it. They uh, don't really recognize state legitimacy in a lot of, uh, in a lot of their dealings, but hey, that's the great thing about uh, the tolerance of anarcho-capitalism that allows for such variety. You have the uh, ability to experiment 
And, you know, it's, uh, again, just really appreciating the innovators and the risk takers who make our lives that uh, th- that much easier. Uh, the Tucker Carlson's even of the world. So it's not just a thing on the left. Tucker Carlson will say, well, jobs are being shipped overseas, which is exactly as dumb as saying, well, at least Tom Hanks didn't ship his dentist job to a different island. You know, he did it himself for the sake of keeping the island strong. Um, That makes your island, uh, it it just increases poverty, which is not in the nation's interest, as if he knows what's in the interest of 330 million complete strangers. And then you have real world examples. So in principle, you don't have the right to forcibly stop people from trading. And then in reality, in the 17th, I think it was 1770, 80% of Americans were employed in agriculture. Today, we have 2%. And we don't have a 78% unemployment rate because we still have a great deal of private property, free trade, contract, and innovation. So a lot of people will look at innovation and say, oh, this is terrible. This is going to lead somewhere bad, or this is unequal and is inherently bad. The anarcho-capitalist is in a unique uh, position to not only morally justify his position, but to appreciate uh, the world around us. And movies like Cast Away Around Thanksgiving are great to watch uh, to uh, reinforce uh, the ANCAP ideas we, uh, we treasure so much. And Epstein didn't kill himself. And what was your score, uh, Keith, out of 10? Out of 10, you know, I didn't like it that much the first time. Uh, The second time watching it through, uh, now that uh, I'm a little older, I would say uh, I would give it a uh, 8 out of 10. Yeah. All right. Very good. Well, I echo a lot of the uh, sentiments that you guys had. I think Tom Hanks was a uh, the actor of his generation. Uh, he's a little bit older now, but he was kind of this everyman, kind of average Joe kind of guy, very affable and... Uh, I think people could identify with him um, very easily. And so he's, he's always a joy to watch on the screen. Um, The character arc in this film really isn't all that significant. Like sure. He was sort of not focusing on things that were perhaps more important until he realized or, or was confronted with not having those things. And so then he had a newfound appreciation for him, but they also found that, you know, even the, these modern conveniences are actually miracles. I mean, when he gets back, um, back to civilization, you know, he has coffee with um, Helen Hunt and he's like, um, she offers him three different kinds of milk. You know, she's got three different ones in the fridge, you know, and, and he couldn't even get water without, uh, you know, cracking open coconuts with, with stones. Um, and, you know, really the biggest thing that he learned was to tie his shoes when he's traveling on an airplane uh, by the end of it. But uh, I thought that this was a really good movie, and it it really shows an appreciation for all the abundance that is afforded by the vestiges of capitalism that are allowed to operate, um, even with all the interventions that happen through the regulatory state. And uh, I just want to like call out that uh, we also appreciate our listeners and you, Keith, for coming on to our show. Uh, I'm going to go with a seven on this one, and uh, I, I I do think it's a really good movie, so it's definitely worth checking it out. And it, it doesn't. Um, age badly. Uh, it still holds up to this day, and I think it will for a long time to come. Uh, even though, like the modern um, conveniences are even even more advanced than in the uh, Tom Hanks day, as as he returns to civilization in this one. So that's going to be our show on the Last Nighters. I think next week we're going to have a, another guest, um, and we're going to be talking about the social network. Uh, otherwise known as the Facebook and uh, our guest will be Miguel Duque. I think I'm saying his name right. And if not, I'll be, I'll get it corrected uh, for when we introduce him next week. Um, but uh, uh, we will have the show notes for this one on lastnighters.com slash 99. And we'll have the deals page on all the stuff for black Friday at lastnighters.com slash Friday. We'll of course have links to Keith's YouTube channel 
And uh, anything else that we've mentioned on the show, I'll be sure to go through and put those on the show notes page as well. So Keith, thanks for uh, joining us for this episode. And do you have any, uh, any projects you have in the works right now that you would suggest people look out for uh, coming out of you in the near future? So um, right now I'm working on summarizing uh, in video form uh, a number of books that uh, I've read that I think are important contributions to voluntarism and anarcho-capitalism. I would say, uh, I would say stick, uh, stick to those. Yeah. The, uh, the, the book summaries that I started, I uh, would just uh, ask people to check out uh, the first one titled right and wrong compulsion of the state by Auburn Herbert. I try to summarize one of the first works in voluntarism um, where, uh, where he actually uses the word. That's why, uh, you know, I credit, uh, him as opposed to Spooner, even though it's just uh, consistently applying the same logic that Bastiat had, that Spooner had, that a uh, lot of a uh, lot of these uh, wise minds had uh, b- before their time. So uh, yes, my book summary collection at uh, Keith Knight. Uh, Don't tread on anyone. All right, very good. And uh, as this is our Thanksgiving episode, I just want to say um, Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. And I'll kick it over to Robert because you're very good at this uh, outpouring of emotion and uh, gratitude for our listeners and suggestions on how they can support us, including uh, on Patreon where they can get bonus content such as our Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which Keith, if you can stick around a little bit longer, we do some bonus stuff after the end of the show here. And people can get that at lastnarrows.com slash Patreon. But go ahead, Robert. Well, thank you, Daniel. I do appreciate you. And this is the time of appreciation, giving thanks. So I, I want to thank Daniel for being a fantastic producer of the show. Every week, he brings on another fantastic guest, like the great and powerful Keith Knight, like we had today. Uh, I'm thankful for getting together each and every week and having a great conversation with my lifelong friend, Daniel. Um, I know the Patreon support really does help, but we'd probably be doing this anyway just because I enjoy having conversations with you. And we always seem to have really good conversations when we're talking about liberty. And we mix that together with movies and we do this little show and uh, I enjoy it. So I, I really do appreciate you. I appreciate Keith for coming on. I appreciate all our guests. I appreciate our listeners. And you can support us by leaving a like, leaving a review on iTunes, on YouTube. You can drop us a few dollars on Patreon, you know, just whatever falls out of your pocket you wouldn't miss, you know, throw it at us like, like the animals we are. I, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't turn it down. We're not too proud. And um, yeah, thank you for uh, all your support and all your future and continued support. Hopefully you have a fantastic set of holidays ahead of you and uh, we'll see you again real soon. All right. And with that, we'll say good night from last night, everyone. Take care. All right, we'll continue the transmission on the actual Anarchy podcast for just uh, another minute or two before we get into that uh, Kathleen Turner overdrive. Uh, and I wanted to mention FedEx and Apple uh, real briefly, Keith, because um, my MacBook Pro died uh, about a year ago, uh, maybe nine months ago. And their keyboards, the Apple keyboards, have been so crappy since about 2016 that there was never one that I wanted to get to replace my broken one. So I've been using a Windows machine um, ever since then. Well, just last week, they released a new version of the MacBook Pro, 16 inches, with reverting back to a scissor mechanism in the keyboard. So finally, the keyboard is good again. Make the keyboard good again or great again, as uh, Trump might say. 
but it's a reaction to the market that Apple finally acquiesced and said, okay, we've tried iterating, tried fixing this butterfly mechanism, and we're finally going to admit defeat and fix the keyboard. And so on the day of release, I bought one. And here's where FedEx comes into it. FedEx got the shipment the next day and they texted me with the tracking number and the expected delivery date. Uh, it delivered yesterday. And the day before that, they called and left me a voicemail that said, your package will be delivered tomorrow by 8 p.m. If you you need to be there to sign for it, be, be you know prepared for this so that we don't miss you. I mean, it was just amazing the level of service that I got from FedEx with my delivery and that I was actually able to buy a Mac again because the keyboard is no longer garbage. So just want to throw that out there for the final moments of uh, our show because I know I've mentioned how shitty the MacBook keyboards have been the last couple of years. And it, it always seemed to be one of those things that, well, if the market's so great, why is the keyboard so shitty? Well, finally, we have an answer. They finally stopped denying that there was a problem and have gone through and uh, made corrections. So, Keith, uh, any response to to this outpouring, this heartwarming tale that I'm sharing on our Thanksgiving episode here? Well, that's one of uh, the great uh, tricks the socialist magician tries to play on us. They will pick some shortcoming in society and say, ha, look, an imperfection. Told you we need the state. Told you the state is justified. When you can take the same logic and apply it just to the state. This is referred to often as the fallacy of unobtainable perfection. Look, a shortcoming ex exists. Therefore, the state should violently dominate the entire industry. It's the equivalent of saying, uh, you know, divorce exists. Look at all these bad marriages, huh? Yeah, I told you the Catholic Church should monopolize marriages and tell us who should get married and for what reason and why we should have prearranged marriages. So that's why it's so important to focus on the principles and the economics uh, in theory and in reality sometimes, but getting bogged down on the trivial examples of how come there isn't, you know, a MacBook, you know, out. Of course, uh, I'm not uh, uh, saying that uh, it's not important on your end. From the standpoint of a consumer, it's very important. And it's another example of how you can falsify the socialist theory of, well, these big companies just work for themselves. They can only work in their interest, as Adam Smith told us 250 years ago, which status still don't understand, that in pursuing their own interests, they meet the needs of others. So this is the ultimate altruism, this voluntary altruism. I want to make myself happy. Therefore, the way to achieve that in the market is by pleasing the most amount of people. So that is my take on what, uh, <laughs> on what you said there. All right, great. Thank you for that. And before we um, go over to Robert, I want to throw one more example in, and this might be right up Robert's alley, and that is Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, released a trailer something like six or eight months ago, and it got panned. People hated it and responded viscerally because the character looked nothing like the game that was beloved in you know the early 90s, I want to say, is when the Sega Genesis had Sonic the Hedgehog, I think. And so what did the production team do and the director? They went back to the drawing board came up with a new art scheme and it looks almost just like the character from the, the video game and people are loving it. So that was another market mechanism response. People saying, no, we don't want this one. And the producer went back to the drawing board and said, okay, we now will try to please our customers. Robert, have you heard of this and how it, how it relates to the terrible MacBook keyboard that's now been corrected and the great service from FedEx? Yeah. So I've got some thoughts on all the things that you have said. Um, first, a question. Uh, with the MacBook thing, uh, does Apple aggressively prevent third-party producers of peripherals and other things for their products? Because in the PC world, 
if you don't like your keyboard, there are dozens of manufacturers of keyboards that you can choose from to suit your every little whim. But it doesn't seem to be the case on the Apple side. You have to uh, wait for Apple to release something. Is that the case or are you just stingy or you just, you know, a purist and you won't buy from a third party? Well, this is actually the keyboard that's integrated into the laptop itself. You can use an aftermarket third-party peripheral that connects, say, via a USB cable. Well, that's actually a bit of a... That's a whole other story with Apple because now they all have just USB-C connections uh, and that's all they have. But uh, if you want a keyboard that's part of the laptop, then yeah, it's going to be the Apple version or nothing. Of course, with the Windows machine, there are a variety of manufacturers, and so you can basically go all across the board with that. But if you want a Mac uh, and a, you know their form factor and you want to spend the extra money because they do cost more for what you get, um, mm-hmm. but the build quality is generally really good other than mm-hmm. this uh, ill-conceived butterfly design that they attempted to do to, to make them thinner, uh, like- to make the whole machine thinner. That oh. seemed, seemed to be the thing oh, they were trying to do. shaming. but anyway uh so if that responds to your question uh i will accept your thoughts on uh the whole thing in general and then we'll have to wind this this portion down and go to the kathleen turner overdrive uh in a in a few moments here yeah 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 we'll get to that here in a second daniel first i gotta say about the sonic the hedgehog thing yes i was aware of it the first trailer was horrific i'm not a huge sonic fan i was more of a nintendo guy but i could see why the traditional sonic look like they completely eschewed it and went towards this weird rodent looking creature. I guess they were trying to go with a more kind of weird cartoon natural look. I don't know what they were doing, but yeah, the uh, fan backlash was severe. And in the best way of, you know, voting with your dollars, they said, you know, we're not going to go see this pile of crap if it looks like something out of a nightmare. Like like the uh, new Charlie's Angels movie. I don't know anything about that, but I know that it's getting panned or something like that. Right. And the star or one of the stars, is blaming men for not being down with feminine hero characters. And Well, this is very true, because men have never liked any movies with feminine hero characters. Um, I, myself, hate Aliens. I hate Terminator. You know, I hate all these strong female characters and their badassitude. I've never watched those movies like a thousand times. And the new Ghostbusters, I'm sure. Well, the new Ghostbusters is a pile of shit, but... We don't have a problem with strong female characters. We, we've enjoyed strong female characters since there have been movies, but we don't like, you know, uh, progressive politics being shoved down our throats, you know, because, you know, feminism is not a reason to watch a movie. Right. It's very convenient to blame a demographic for your shortcomings <laughs> for making a terrible movie. Oh, yeah. Well, there's white straight men have been like the... Uh, and I said the word escape goat when I should have just said escape. I don't know why I did that. But uh, yeah, it's a, a common uh, reason why to blame for any kind of failings is to blame like angry incels on the Internet or neckbeards or white men or whatever, or just men, I guess. Now, we're, we're terrible and we know it. And it's OK. It's the patriarchy. Daniel, get used to it. Yeah. Yeah. We've got to smash the patriarchy. Right, Keith? Yeah, the uh, the the uh, tolerant left really shows their uh, th- their true colors when they get one microscopic ounce of power. They're the anti-sexists who constantly bash men. They are the anti-racists who bash whites more than anyone else, and uh, are constantly just looking at uh, oh, demographic X is thirteen percent, but 
blacks are 50% of the inmate population, therefore racism. Well, men are 50% of the population and 90% of the prison inmate population. Does that mean sexism? Well, of course not. It was, Historically, uh, women have been mistreated. Yes, men were enslaved to fight wars based on Gulf of Tonkin lies. Does that count? No, it doesn't count. We're not acknowledging it. So uh, the social justice movement, uh, like I mentioned earlier, it's a justification to use an oppressed versus oppressor. Why does the state need so much power? Because there's this terrible evil, Jews, terrorists, communists, uh, patriots, uh, you know, the, the white man. Therefore, the state needs so much power to counteract this opposition. When in every case, especially terrorists, um, the government uh, is behind the whole thing. Or there's big, you know, greedy corporations, which uh, government regulations allow in the first place by stopping competition through a regulatory state, the FDA, the EPA, and, every, and OSHA, and everything else. So, um, yeah, uh, the uh, social justice movement, is it, th that's how you can just tell if it's fraudulent. You can really just bring an obvious example, conscription, the draft, men are disproportionately uh, in prison compared to the population. You can just ask them that and within 10 seconds, you can know if you're dealing with a fraudster or someone who's just uh, generally confused. All right. Well said. Well, I think we're going to need to end it there. We'll get into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive um, right after this. And uh, Keith, again, we're thankful to you for being our guest. Uh, we're thankful for our audience. And we're thankful that uh, hopefully we don't get banned off of YouTube after your last uh, little soliloquy there. But um, thank you, oh, everyone. Out. Please cut it out. Heavens. <laughs> no, it's fine. We already had one of our channels shut down uh, for no no apparent reason. But um, anyway, we'll say um, maximum freedom, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. And we'll be back with the social network next week. Peace out, everyone. Bye. Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 In the early days of the internet, radical libertarians were scattered, lonely, and faceless. Without direction, they resigned to scour the web, sifting through content providers in a wasteland plagued by YouTube demonetization, Facebook jail, and covert internet censorship. But then, in 2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com.